Welcome to OECD Podcasts, where policy meets people. I'm Clara Young, and I'm here in the studio with Bertrand Picard. Bertrand is an explorer in the old-fashioned sense of the word. He's circumnavigated the globe twice, once in 1999 on a hot air balloon, and again in 2016 when he and co-pilot André Borschbergs flew around the world in a solar-fueled airplane. Bertrand calls that flight Act One in his long-term vision of things. Act Two is the Solar Impulse Foundation named after the airplane. The foundation brings together established companies, civil society organizations, governmental agencies and startups. And the goal? To get energy efficient, low carbon innovations into production and onto the global market. So thanks for coming in, Bertrand. It's a pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Exploring is a family trait for you. Your grandfather and your father both pulled off exploits as impressive as yours. Up and down. (laughs) My grandfather was the first man in the stratosphere, actually the first one who saw the curvature of the earth with his own eyes, inventing the pressurized cabin that is now used for all modern aviation. And his goal was to prove that it was possible to fly above the bad weather in thinner air where the fuel consumption would be lower. So his concern was already environmental. And then my father made the deepest dive ever in the Marina Trench with his Batiscafe submarine. And uh, the goal was to see if there was life on the bottom of the oceans in the period, it was 1960, not so far away, where governments were crazy enough to believe they could use the deepest trenches in the oceans as bin as to a, dump a... the radioactive and toxical waste. So when my father and his colleague Don Walsh saw there was a fish down there, it proved that there was life, that there was currents from the surface to the bottom bringing oxygen and, uh, of course, countercurrents bringing back everything that would be on the bottom to the surface. So it was a big milestone for the protection of the environment. And that uh, stopped radioactive dumping of uh, Yes, from that moment on, it was prohibited to dump toxic waste in the oceans. And then... We come to you, who flew around the world without using a drop of fuel. You had to develop quite a lot of cutting-edge technology for Solar Impulse 2. What was the trickiest? The trickiest was to have an airplane that was efficient enough in terms of energy to cope with the amount of energy we could receive from the sun. So for this, we needed an airplane that had the wingspan of a jumbo jet, even more, and the light as a family car. So that was very, very difficult to build. And it was so funny to see that the world of aviation thought it was impossible. They refused to build the plane. And finally, it's a shipyard who built all the big pieces of the plane because they did not know it was impossible and they could do it. So it really shows that very often innovation comes outside of the system. Aviation right now produces about 1.5% of total carbon emissions. But we're expecting the number of people who take planes to basically double in the next 10 to 20 years, so carbon emissions is going to go up. Will we be seeing Solar Impulse's design and technology in brand new airplanes? In seven years and four months, to be precise, you will have electric airplanes transporting 50 passengers on short haul. And I can be so precise because two years and eight months ago, I said in 10 years, So the countdown has started. And I tell you, it will happen. All the people who were laughing at me when I initiated the Solar Impulse project are now actively working on electric airplane programs. So it's a good sign. 
and uh, you will have small, big airplanes, you will have flying taxis, transporting four people on vertical takeoff and landing in the cities, but all electric and zero emission. Because the problem before that people were bringing up was that, oh, you know, you flew alone, but it couldn't carry the weight of more people. So you are solving that. Engineers are finding a way around it. You know, Charles Lindbergh, he crossed the Atlantic in 1927 solo. He was alone in the cockpit. The, the Wright brothers, although they were two, uh, they were flying each alone in 1903. Uh, so... You have to start with something. You have to show what is feasible. And after the era of the pioneers and the explorers, then you have the era of the industry who takes it over, develops it, commercializes it, and brings it to the public. What was it like to fly in an airplane that didn't need fuel? You flew day and night as well. What was that experience? You know, it's the first airplane ever who theoretically had a perpetual endurance. The plane could stay in the air as many cycles, day and night, as as we wanted. It was only the pilot was the weak point. So when you fly several days and several nights in a row, when you have no fuel, when you have no pollution and no noise, at the beginning you think, wow, I'm in the future. And actually it's wrong. You're not in the future. You're in the present with what the current technologies allow you to do. And at this point, you understand how much the rest of the world is in the past. It's the rest of the world that is in the past with very old, inefficient, dirty, polluting systems, devices, infrastructures, sources of energy. And this has to change. And noisy as well, because you also talked about how quiet it was. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, you have to understand that most of the pollution, most of the CO2, most of the depletion of natural resources is made by inefficient systems that we still use today. Half of the energy, half of the resources are lost just because of the inefficiency. When you see thermal engine in a car, it's 27% efficiency. An electric engine has 97% efficiency. It's the same for the LED. It's the same for heat pumps compared to electric radiators or, uh, or fuel heating systems. All our world today is inefficient. We are losing energy, wasting natural resources, and... This is really crazy and stupid because solutions exist. We could save already today half of the energy. One of the things that your foundation does is to single out green startups. And you're, you're looking for technology, just like you spoke of, that is energy efficient um, and that is clean, that helps protect the environment and is profitable for investors too. And you're helping them get off the ground. Am I right? Yes, it has to be profitable. You know, when you want to protect the environment, You have to speak the language of the world of politics, economics, industry, finance. Otherwise, they will just not do it. So if you come and you say, uh, I want to protect the environment, the people will say, yes, of course, but we don't know how. If you come with solutions that create jobs, make money, sustain growth, but a clean growth, you protect the environment and at the same time you make money, then everybody will agree. And uh, this is what we are doing now. I launched the challenge of identifying and selecting 1,000 of these solutions. And you cannot imagine the creativity of corporations and startups. You have small startups who have really cutting-edge technologies ready to come on the market. And why are they not yet successful? Because the legal framework is too complacent. It's laid back. 
the legal framework allows today to pollute. There is no price on carbon. There is no obligation to be efficient. So all these cutting-edge technologies, they remain in startups or research labs instead of creating jobs and coming on the market. So governments should help by making our uh, regulations stricter about pollution and about carbon emissions. Is yeah, that you what you're know, saying? We, yeah, we, yes and no. We don't need more regulation. We need modern regulations. We need standards that are adapted to the technologies of today, not standards that are matching with the technologies of 10 years ago and the cost of 10 years ago. You know, so many people today don't know, they just are not informed that in half of the world, solar energy produces electricity three times cheaper than gas and coal. Three times cheaper. So all this has to be known. All the efficiency, how to make energy-neutral buildings, electric mobility, LED lamps, heat pumps, smart grid, new industrial processes, new ways to produce energy... All this is ready and it will bring growth, it will bring money, it will bring jobs. You're looking for a thousand uh, solutions and that's the hashtag of the foundation. What number are you at right now? So now we have more than 1,500 companies who are members of the World Alliance for Efficient Solutions that I've created and they're submitting solutions. Uh, 600 solutions are in the pipeline to be assessed and 75 are already assessed with a label. Our experts or experts we work with, have um, uh, assessed the solutions under the angle of the technical feasibility, the positive impact for the environment, and the profitability. And uh, there's the label, Solar Impulse Efficient Solution label, the first label that proves the profitability of environmental actions or products. And uh, we're very proud of it because this can really help people to take more clever decisions. What is uh, one of the projects that you're quite excited about that you can tell us about here? I love the system called anti-smog, which is a little box that you can install on every thermal engine in a car, and it reduces 80% of the particles emitted, and it reduces 20% of the fuel. So this can really help to have much more ambitious standards for uh, efficiency of cars and car pollution. Another system that is so interesting, you can make energy with the waves. You install some floats with pistons on the piers, on the walls that are alongside the ocean or the sea, and the waves just move the piston and create energy. And it's very profitable and extremely efficient. Are these, have these gone on the market? So they are now at the stage where they are ready and they are starting to come on the market. Some are just installed here and there, and our goal is to make them known. Uh, their goal is to use the label to be credible, and we have to bring this portfolio of a thousand solutions to heads of states, to governments, to big corporations, and show them what is the reality of today. Because these people, usually, they are still completely in the past. They don't know what exists today. Which countries or states or areas, regions have you been in that are very supportive and helpful with legislation and, and with supporting these kinds of initiatives? Scandinavia. You know, Sweden has a carbon tax that is 135 euros per ton of carbon. And this is really interesting because in the beginning, people thought it would kill the industry. And actually, it obliged the Swedish industry to be more efficient. And now the Swedish industry is more competitive even for export. So it really shows that CO2 is not just a factor of pollution, it's a factor of, of losses and inefficiency, and you lose money if you produce more CO2. 
people might not know that besides being an explorer, you're also a doctor and a psychiatrist. And when I hear about climate change, I have to be honest and say that sometimes I block it off because there's a certain amount of despair. And I'm wondering, what psychological insights do you have in getting people to deal with climate change and to do something about it and work together? I try to change the paradigm. Climate change is not a very expensive problem because otherwise nobody will have the courage to solve it. You have to present climate change or fighting climate change as an enthusiastic, profitable opportunity because this will create more jobs, more money, more profit, clean growth. It will reenact the industrial spirit, you know, to bring to the society and to the world new type of product. And today you can fight climate change and at the same time improve the quality of life of the people. You can help developing countries, the poorest countries, to fight poverty, to have local development, to create more wealth if they are able to produce their own energy, to have microgrids, you know, solar panels, batteries, pumps, uh, plugs for mobile phones. You create local economy, local development, and people can be empowered. So fighting climate change today is a way to have the world being much uh, in a better shape. Well, thank you very much, Bertrand, and thank you, everybody, for listening to OECD Podcasts. I'm Clara Young. To find out more about the Solar Impulse Foundation, go to solarimpulse.com. And to listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, and SoundCloud slash OECD.